This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mammoliti. What was the inspiration behind this book and what can readers expect to find inside? I've always just been very much a seasonal cook and that means cooking with vegetables. I'm not a vegetarian, so I haven't completely stopped eating meat, but I eat less and less meat. And I know a lot of people are doing the same thing. So what you'll find in this book are creative ways to use vegetables for every part of the meal, including dessert. So you'll be happy to find some sweets. I probably give you way more ideas than you ever thought were possible for cooking with zucchini. But as I say in my intro, this is a vegetable book for everyone. So whether you already love vegetables or you want to love them more, you will find things to excite you in this book. That's Susan Spungen. She's a best-selling cookbook author, legendary food stylist, recipe developer, and founding food editor and editorial director for food at Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia. Susan released her fifth cookbook, Veg Forward, on May 30th, and today we are chatting all about it. Welcome, Susan. Hi, how are you? (laughs) I am fantastic now that we're here talking. Congratulations on your new cookbook, Veg Forward. What was the inspiration behind this book and what can readers expect to find inside? Well, the inspiration is I've always just been very much a seasonal cook and that means cooking with vegetables. So I've, you know, been excited by farm stands and farmers markets for many years. It's like, I just get, I I love shopping for vegetables. I love eating them. I love cooking with them. And over the years, I've incorporated more and more vegetables into my diet and kind of, I don't, I'm not a vegetarian, so I haven't completely stopped eating meat, but I eat less and less meat. And I know a lot of people are doing the same thing. So what you'll find in this book are creative ways to use vegetables for every part of the meal, including dessert. Um, so you'll be happy to find some sweets. And there's all, oh, actually fruit in the book as well, a little bit of fruit, because it's really about produce. But, you know, for the title, we went with Veg Forward. But it's, you know, almost all, veg- almost all vegetables and almost entirely vegetarian. There are a couple little things here and there that you can leave out. But vegetarians will find plenty of things to eat in this book. But as I say in my intro, this is a vegetable book for everyone. So whether you already love vegetables or you want to love them more, you will find things to excite you in this book. I mean, and with this book, you're encouraging readers to take their cooking into like new unexpected directions, right? So can you give us a little bit or some examples of how someone might use the book to do that? Well, okay, let's take zucchini, for instance. People always kind of bitch and complain. Sorry if I said a bad word. No, um, bitch and complain <laughs> about um, zucchini. There's so much zucchini. It's so boring. What do I do with it? Um, at the end of August, I'm just like so sick of zucchini. Well, I have, I actually cut really put a lot of zucchini recipes in the book because I actually love zucchini and I find it to be a really um, versatile vegetable. It's kind of like tofu. It's like, it's kind of a blank slate and you can do a lot of different things with it. So, um, I probably give you way more ideas than you ever thought were possible for cooking with zucchini in, in ways that are, you know, fun, exciting, not boring. Uh, For instance, I have a grilled zucchini with, um, Calabrian chilies and whipped ricotta and herbs. And it's just like, 
actually a beautiful dish that you, when I served it to my husband and that's like really my, my test, he like cleaned the plate. So I knew that it was really good (laughs) somehow that, oh, I think it has uh, almonds on it too, like crunchy almonds that you cook on the stovetop. So that's just uh, one example of new and exciting things that you'll find. So for someone who may not be used to cooking a plant forward diet or plant forward at all, I mean, what recipe from the cookbook would you recommend as a good starting point? Let's see. Well, I have a a sun gold tomato carbonara. So who doesn't like carbonara, right? A nice hot plate of pasta. But I've just added, I mean, that's a pretty simple recipe, but I've just added um, sun gold tomatoes. Not everyone gets those maybe, but where I live, and you could use any kind of cherry tomato, of course, but it's a beautiful golden yellow orange tomato that has a ton of sweetness and plenty of acidity. And I just like the way that cuts the richness of the carbonara. Are you up for a quick game of this or that? Sure. (laughs) I love games. (laughs) Excellent. So I'm going to give you two options and you choose which best suits you. Pancakes or waffles? Oh, um, waffles. Coffee or tea? Oh, coffee. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Spicy or mild? Spicy. Sweet or savory? Mm, That is a tough one, but I guess I'll say savory, but I'm kind of equal on those. (laughs) Okay. Breakfast for dinner or dinner for breakfast? Breakfast for dinner. Excellent. 100%. Right. (laughs) In this book, you developed all the recipes and you captured seasonal content in real time right. for the like, for this cookbook. So can you tell us a little more about this process, how it influenced the recipes and the photography in the book? Yeah. Well, um, which you, what you didn't come right out and say is that I captured it in real time. I, I shot the entire book on my iPhone. Um, I found this and, so you know, interesting when I read it. I'm like, no way. <laughs> They're fantastic, the images. Yeah, I'm probably not the very first person to do that. And plenty of bloggers have shot their own books, but usually on a on a you know SLR camera. Um, and uh, I am very comfortable. I I I look. I studied art, and then I've also worked in photography and styling for so many years. I've learned so much about um, composition and lighting from all the great photographers that I've worked with over the years, and also all the prop stylists. And so it was partly because of the pandemic, but I think it was a little bit more because I wanted the freedom of, of going to the farm stand and coming home with some, you know, gorgeous bunch of, um, I'll use an example of the spring opener, uh, you know, pink spring onions. And I, I, I wanted to be able to come home and take a picture of them at their, you know, height of their beauty and freshness. So that's not something you can do when you do a normal photo shoot. Like, you have 10 days, maybe if you're doing a seasonal book, you do two shoots, maybe four, if you have that kind of flexibility, but still it's hard to get everything that you need for a shoot at its absolute peak. So I wanted to do what I call, you know, portraits of all the vegetables. Um, A lot of them made it into the book. We actually had to get extra pages to make sure that some of those um, photos, aside from the, Uh, actual recipes made it into the book because that's, I feel like the inspiration, you see this gorgeous bunch of something you want to cook with it. I mean, that's how I feel. That's, 
the, the produce itself inspires the recipes for me and it inspires me. It inspires me to get in the kitchen and eat something that is like very close to the ground. Are there any of your favorite images? Like, is there one that stands out uh, the most? Usually there's always well, a story tied to it. Yeah, well, actually, the cover is a close-up of the heirloom tomato tart. And um, that, when I shot that, I thought, oh, yeah, this could be the cover. <laughs> so I do really love that image. And, of course, because heirloom tomatoes are so beautiful, and it's not the first time an heirloom tomato something has been on the cover of a cookbook, that's for sure. Um, but you see it in such luscious close-up that I think um, – it really makes you just want to go out and buy some tomatoes and eat them. I mean, look, that is like a perfect example of Mother Nature's best work, right? An heirloom tomato. I mean, they're so incredible. They're absolutely beautiful. They're like sculptures. I love it in August when I bring home all these different heirlooms from um, my farm, the farms, one of the farm stands that I buy them at, but you can get them everywhere. Um, and I put them on the table to ripen. I just get so much joy out of just looking at them. They're like sculptures. So, and then it's almost a shame to cut into them. <laughs> but even the flavor that you get from that heirloom tomato is unbelievable, especially in August. Like you it mentioned. It really is. Right. It's like a ready-made meal. You don't need to do very much to them to make them an incredible meal. I mean, everyone knows that, right? You just slice a tomato, put it on two pieces of bread or yeah. just throw it on a plate with some <gasps> a little brown oil, butter salt and pepper. Oh, maybe sure, a little brown I butter. That, but, oh, that's yeah. delicious. But anyway, I mean, it's like a ready-made meal courtesy yeah. of Mother Nature. So I didn't cook any heirlooms because I don't think they're best um, cooked. I think they're best eaten raw because um, they can be very like juicy. I mean, that's the beauty of them. They can be very watery. So um, I knew I wanted to do some kind of an heirloom tart recipe, but I really treated it more like a fresh fruit tart. And then I have a baked uh, piece of pastry that's just flat. And so it's like a big rectangular freeform tart. So you bake the, the bottom, um, which is a dough that has a little bit of goat cheese in place of some of the butter in the, in the um, dough. It makes it a little bit crumbly, maybe gives it just a little bit of a tang. It has Parmesan, it has herbs in the dough. And then you make a creamy um, mixture. Let's see if I can memorize every single recipe in the book. Um, <laughs> I'm actually forgetting. I think it's ricotta and something else. And, um, and that, so it's like another kind of whipped ricotta. I'm a big fan of creamy bases. So then you so spread good. that out like you would with a, strawberry tart or set yeah. something like that. And then you just slice the tomatoes and, and put uh, olive oil, salt, pepper, herbs over that. And remarkably, when I made this the first time, this is probably one of my favorite recipes and favorite images, as you asked. Um, I was shocked that it didn't get soggy fast. In fact, it lasted for a day or two. So somehow that creamy layer that I was telling you about keeps the pastry isolated from the um, actual juice of the tomatoes. And so when the tomatoes start releasing their juices, somehow they just, I don't know, kind of become one with that creamy filling and it doesn't get soggy. And I like that when I made this tart, the first time I brought it to the beach for, we had like a little beach picnic. We live near the ocean here. 
And it was delicious, like hours later, it didn't get soggy at all. So I think it's kind of like a miracle recipe and definitely one of my favorite images. Now, I love that you have a resource guide right at the beginning of Veg Forward. It's incredibly helpful for readers. What are some of the pantry staples and maybe even kitchen tools that any home cook should have on hand? It was funny yesterday. I, for some reason, you know, when you can't find something in the kitchen and it's obviously Always. right in front of you, but you just can't find, well, yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I can see reasonably well and I still can't find things. So um, story of my life. <laughs> I, I think I definitely use my vegetable peeler more than any other tool because yesterday I was doing some cooking and I was like, first I couldn't find the peeler. Eventually I was like, all right, I know it's hiding here somewhere. And it was behind my, uh, food processor, which I was using at the time. And then not five or 10 minutes later, I again could not find it. And I said to my husband, where is the peeler? Anyway, I had put it like in the drainer, but I didn't, and it was like black on black and I just did not see. (laughs) And, um, so I, I have a good peeler, believe it or not that I've had, if you get a good peeler with a good blade, it will last you forever. Cause I think they're made of carbon steel, which just does not get dull. So I remember my mother had the same vegetable peeler, like from the time she got married until she probably still has it. And, um, so I have this peeler since we did the, we, when I worked at Martha and we did the Kmart line, um, Martha Stewart every day back in the nineties. And I still have that peeler, which was a sample and it's a great peeler. It works really well. Um, so that's probably my number one tool. I don't even think I listed in the book, but after that, I'm going to have to say, um, mandolin slicer because I use a mandolin slicer all the time. And I like a very, uh, simple, the Japanese plastic one that's made by Kyocera it's usually red plastic or maybe they come in other colors too. And I just love the texture that you get when you slice vegetables very thinly for a salad. I have a salad in the book that's daikon, apple, um, kohlrabi, I think, and celery. Although I don't, I don't use my mandolin to slice celery because the uh, strings kind of get in the way. It gets a little bit unwieldy, but um, that's one of my absolute favorite tools. And uh, I use it a lot. But I love that you mentioned the vegetable peeler because even within my community, being low vision, I always recommend a, a vegetable peeler as well yeah. because it, it saves our fingers a lot of the time. You can oh. make ribbons if you wanted to. Oh, <laughs> so, sure. Yes. Okay. And I do use mine. If yours is the right shape, you can also use it to shave Parmesan into things. A lot of the same things you could do with, a, say, a mandolin, you could do with... Um, with a peeler, um, like you could make cucumber ribbons, carrot ribbons, anything like that. Um, so yeah, it's very useful for that. I like the one that's shaped like a U, uh, a U peeler, but I have to say something about a mandolin. Even if you were low vision, I only use my mandolin with it. I wear a, a glove that protects my hand. So I, I, there's cut proof gloves that you can buy on, um, Amazon or wherever a hardware store, And, you know, sometimes oyster shuckers might wear them, but they're used for all kinds of things just to protect your hands from little nicks and cuts. And um, if you were using that, uh, if you wore one of those while you were using a mandolin, it would keep you from injuring yourself. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. They're very, very sharp. So you do have to be really careful. I have cut myself a few times. That's why I'm very uh, religiously, I wear the gloves. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with best-selling author, food stylist, recipe developer, and editorial director, Susan Spungen. 
I want to talk a little bit about, so you were a food stylist for the movie. I read Julia, uh, Julie and Julia. Can you share with us maybe a little behind the scenes or what, what was the experience like and what is it like working behind the scenes? Um, well, actually, I've worked on a number Many. of films. That was yeah. my first. Well, uh, four. Yeah, about four, I think. And a TV show or two. Um, so, uh, yeah, Julie and Julia was my first movie that I worked on. And uh, obviously, it was a great opportunity that I'd spent n- no time thinking about. I was actually approached personally by Nora Ephron um, when they were in pre-production. And I, th- I thought it was a friend playing a trick on me saying, hi, it's Nora Ephron. And I was like, (laughs) no. (laughs) Um, And she said, you know, I'm working on a movie about Julie Child and, you know, I got your name from several people. Do you want to work on my movie? She literally said my movie, I think. And um, I was like, yes, like, uh, you know, say, say yes, get details later. (laughs) So I signed on to do the movie and uh, it was a couple months ahead and Gosh, what's it like working behind the scenes? First of all, such hard work. Working on films is incredibly hard. Sometimes the day could be as long as 16 hours. 14 hours is not unusual. Um, you're you're a cog in a big machine. You have everybody has their job to do, and and there's you know there's a lot of moving parts, and uh, things get changed all the time. You run out of time. Like as a as a food person, I'll give you one example from. Julie and Julia, there's one very small scene where um, it's really a montage scene, which so they're cutting back and forth between um, Julie and Julia. They're both like learning different things in the kitchen. The same thing you're seeing it in Julia's time and then in Julie's time. And uh, Julie Powell, uh, rest in peace, is eating some onion soup. And French onion soup, of course. And the script said, and the cheese extends from the bowl to her mouth. That's why I hold up the spoon because I, love I had it. to, she had to do that. So I had, it was a very nerve wracking scene for me because I had to get the onion soup where it was basically the perfect temperature for the actor to then go on stage and have that cheese pull happen. It wasn't like I could do the cheese pull. I had to have it set up so that Amy Adams could put her spoon in and you'd get that cheese pull. So it was, you and know, then you've got the elements of the set as well. That well, yeah, don't always work in million. your favor. <laughs> but, but what, it, what I'm not getting to yet is that, um, the scene, because it was kind of a small scene, relatively speaking, it was a montage, meaning it's just one little, you know, that's it. They kept putting it at the end of the day. And then when we ran out of time, they'd say, okay, that's a wrap for today. And it'd be like, what about my onion soup? And then, so that happened. I don't remember how many, at least four or five times until we actually shot it. So we had to keep making the onion soup, keep getting it ready. Maybe that's why I got a chance to perfect it until we finally <laughs> shot it. So there's a lot of, there can be a lot of frustrations, especially for a food stylist on a movie set, because most things keep, right? Food doesn't keep. Food is alive. So you have to really, really roll with the punches um, when you are on a movie set as a food stylist. You can't say, but you told me we were going to shoot that today. No, you have to just, you know, pull up your bootstraps and say, okay, we're going to come back and do it again tomorrow fine. <laughs> but of course, it's fun to work with great actors like Meryl Streep, Stanley Tucci, 
Um, who else today? Jane Lynch. I mean, he, those are just a few of the people I worked with on Julie and Julia. I don't know if you remember Jane Lynch. She played Julia Child's sister, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which was fun. She had a few scenes. She's as fun as fun and funny as you'd expect her to be. You've mentioned that you've worked with so many celebrity chefs, uh, food personalities. And is there anyone in particular that maybe you've learned a little more from or that had um, maybe given you advice or said something to you that kind of stuck with you? <laughs> well... I mean, the funny thing is in the position that I've been in, I've been more in a position to teach them than them to teach me because I usually have to show them how to do something on camera. Like Meryl Streep, I showed her how to flip omelets right before she did it. Um, She came into my little kitchen and practiced and I was like, well, this is how you do it. And, you know, you got it. It's all in the wrist, blah, blah, blah. Of course, she mastered it and five seconds. And Amy Adams, I did a lot of training with her um, before she started because she didn't have a lot of food experience. And she was going to have to do things like pick up live lobsters and, um, you know, chop onions, whatever it was. I just taught her some basic knife skills and how to pick up a lobster, (laughs) for instance, and a bunch of other things. We spent like two full days at um, ICE, the Institute of Culinary Education in New York. They just let us use one of their kitchens and we just brought a lot. Oh, we had a, you know, bone a duck. There were certain things she had to do. So we didn't want when she was on camera for it to be her first time doing those things. So we just had like a crash course. Now I'm trying to think of anything. I mean, I'm sure Meryl Streep must have taught me something, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm trying to think what, well, Probably diplomacy, right? I got to watch her because I worked with her on It's Complicated as well. Um, Nothing is popping into my mind because honestly, I was usually teaching them things. That that was my job to teach them. But it was was fun to get to know, um, get to know them. Are you up for a quick game of rapid fire? Sure. Tell us one thing most people don't know about you. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, what most people don't know about me is that I'm a horrible singer, but that I love to sing. <laughs> love that. If your worst enemy wrote your dating profile, what would they say? Oh, my God. <laughs> my worst enemy. Oh, well, let's see. That I'm uh, difficult to get along with. That <laughs> I don't I, believe that for uh, a moment. <laughs> Well, I don't know. My word, I did have a dating profile. I met my husband online, but um, they wouldn't say I'm a bad cook. Probably that I'm like annoying about uh, always wanting to lose weight. (laughs) (laughs) What is your junk food kryptonite? Uh, I love cheese its. Is it cheese its or cheese nips? Those little square crackers. (gasps) I think it's yes. cheeses. Like I was in the grocery store the other day and I saw they had like extra toasted cheeses. And I was like, oh my God, I have to have those, but I didn't buy them. Um, but yeah, I really, I, lo- I love crackers a lot. I love any kind of cheesy cracker. And that would also include like cheese doodles and things like that. Um, that would be my kind of favorite, favorite snack. And then ice cream. Name one thing from your childhood that kids today wouldn't understand. Ah, I thought about that. Um, dialing a phone. 
calling 411 <laughs> to get a number. There was actually a person on the other end of the phone giving you a number. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's amazing. <laughs> and I'd like to have ask all of our guests this one question and it's do you have a kitchen confession that you can share with us? Well, the funny <laughs> the funny thing is I almost had a pretty big mishap last night and it was very Julia Child-esque. Um, I actually was roasting a chicken for dinner and I didn't do it in my usual way in a roasting pan. I actually, I wanted it to get really crispy. So I put a roasting rack on a sheet pan that I actually lined with foil and I was feeling very lazy and I put some potatoes right on the foil, which incidentally turned out great but I was on my way to the oven and I wasn't used to the sheet pan and the the whole thing started sliding off so I almost lost the chicken on the floor almost (laughs) um and I I did lose a couple potatoes but I was kind of near the edge of the counter so I kind of put this the edge of the tray down so that the chicken wouldn't keep sliding off um but the truth (laughs) is I don't have too many mishaps and I don't consider them mishaps because I think you can always make uh, lemonade out of lemons, right? There's not that many things that can't be solved and not that many mistakes I that love can't that. be solved um, in, in the kitchen. So, you know, I think I don't like, people always want to hear about disasters and I'm like, well, I never, you know, that would be like burning your kitchen down, right? And yeah. I, so I don't, I don't, I don't really have that many disasters. I always, I sometimes things don't go exactly the way I want. So I, I, I adjust course. If listeners want to reach out uh, to you for more, get your book, cookbook, where can they get all this? Where can they reach you? Um, well, I think probably the best place is on my Instagram, uh, which is at Susan Spungen, S-U-S-A-N-S-P-U-N-G-E-N, because uh, everything is linked there. And I respond to DMs and, uh, of course, you know, links to the book, um, but the, it'll be available wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise, your stories, your cookbook with us today. It's been so much fun. Thanks for having me, Mary. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Did we get your stomach growling? Head over to kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. Plus, you can check out ami.ca forward slash kitchenconfession for all the latest on the podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review so we can keep bringing you more episodes you'll love. Our producer and editor is Matt Agnew, and I'm your host, Mary Mammolini. Thanks for listening. 